going to have our Bible reading now. Um, if you have a Bible, you want to pull it out and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one on the P rack in front of you. And in that copy, we're on page 1187. Again, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verses 1 to 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes these words. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Great. Well, there we go. Good morning, everyone. If we've not met before, my name's James, and like Peter, I'm one of the pastors here at BRBC, and I woke up this morning with a cricked neck. So, I had a concoction of painkillers before the first service, but I can feel that's kind of wearing off. So, if I kind of stand here like a penguin and my head moves with my body, that's why, that's why. But I'll I'll get over it and I'll be brave, okay? (laughs) Okay, well, he joined us this morning in our third part in our Sunday morning teaching series in the book of First Thessalonians. And this morning, what we're going to see is Paul responding to an accusation against his ministry and his leadership. And in defending himself and his leadership against this accusation, he's going to show us something key about what it means to understand and live out and be a Christian leader. And the big idea I'm going to give away earlier on, early on this morning, so listen up, here's how it goes. What he's going to show us is that Christian leadership, authentic, genuine Christian leadership, I've forgotten where I was going. (laughs) Authentic, genuine Christian leadership is about choosing the right over the easy. That's what it is. Authentic and genuine Christian leadership is about choosing the right over the easy. That's what it's about. So why don't we pray once more? I'm going to ask for God's help as we dive into this next section in 1 Thessalonians. Pray with me once more. Lord, we want to thank you for your word, that your word speaks to us, that it's living and active. So Lord, we ask that we would hear your voice this morning in a way that changes us, in a way that we can hear. Lord, mold us, make us more like Jesus. Help us to understand leadership. We want to hear from you, and we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, hey, over the last couple of weeks, I have had the most remarkable idea. Now, now, none of the leaders uh, of this church had heard this idea until the first service this morning. But it's such a good idea, I think you're going to buy into this immediately. Now, now here's how it goes. I've been been looking on YouTube. There's some pastors and preachers in the world today who have had an absolute brainwave when it comes to ministry traveling around. And and so they've realized that they need to get places quickly and efficiently. And so they've asked the the people around them, the people in their churches and in their ministries, for money. They've asked for people to, to give generously. And so what they've done is they've bought themselves a nice new jet. And I figured it would be a great idea if we had a jet here. Well, I guess there's a rougher airfield down the road. We could just keep it there. And, and, and me and Peter and anyone else at BRBC can be, feel free to use this jet. But really, it's actually for me. I want this jet. I knew you would think it's a good idea, but don't worry. I've done the research for you. I'm not going to go for one of those Gulfstream 650s at 50-something million pounds. Don't worry. We're not going to go for that. We're going to go for this one. It's a Honda. It's, it's a little bit more modest, and it's only 3 million and 50,000 pounds. And I think we could go for that. I think we should go for that. Now, you might be thinking, hey, uh, James, you and Peter, you don't have speaking engagements all over the world. And, and hang on a second. You have everything in the, anything in the calendar at the moment where you would need a jet to get to. Well, no, we don't. But maybe that's the reason we don't. It's because we don't have a jet. So we need one of these jets. And, and it's quite modest. Look inside. That's a look to the front. There's only four seats. I mean, we're not going crazy here. And uh, there, there's a view to the back. And I think I, think I kind of look at that, like the, the, this jet. And, and here's how it's going to work, is that I know you guys are really generous. I know the BRBC family are the most generous people I have ever known in my life. So if you could dig deep into those pockets, if you can give generously to this project, it would do my heart some good. And who knows where those seeds you have sown, how far they will go. And you know what? I've got another idea. The, here's the thing. If you give generously, I know God's going to bless you a hundredfold. If you give to me, then I've got a funny feeling when you look at that bank statement, in the next paycheck, there's going to be a hundred times the amount that you gave. You will, you know, you'll be prosperous. You'll be wealthy because of your generosity towards me. Now, I hope. I hope at this point you say, James, stop being ridiculous. We know you're not being serious here. And I would hope if I was being serious, you would say to me, James, um, that's a bit greedy, isn't it? That's, that's a bit over the top. I hope you would say something along the lines of, that is bad leadership. Now, now leadership, the concept of leadership is something we come up against all the time in our lives. We find ourselves under leadership and we find ourselves in leadership. It's, it's a huge issue for us. Sometimes we find bad leadership, and it's obvious why it's bad leadership. And sometimes we find good leadership, and it's obvious to us why it's good leadership. But then again, sometimes we come up against leadership that's a little bit harder to kind of describe or analyze or evaluate as to why it's bad. Sometimes we come across good leadership, and we say, well, I don't really know why, but that just seems like good leadership. And other times we think, that's rubbish leadership. That's, that's awful, but I can't really say why. It just something seems off about it. We find ourselves in leadership and under leadership, in our lives all the time. Now, now Paul, is, Paul is writing to defend his ministry and his leadership while he was in Thessalonica. And what he's going to do is open this window into what Christian leadership is all about. Now, this has application for all of us in this room. But before we go any further, I want to just kind of ask the question of how we define leadership. Because I've been reading through commentaries, reading through books on leadership, and, and most often the general flavor of a definition of leadership is going to be something like this space 
and ability to influence. That's usually how they'll define leadership. Something along these lines. Space or like a, a, a place in your life where you have the ability to influence or direct the lives and the thoughts of people around you. Now, I like that definition because that allows for good and bad leadership because you can have a bad influence and you can have a good influence. You can be under a bad influence and you can be under a good influence. So that's how that works. But it's also broad enough to say that, well, in fact, we we can influence people not just with our words but also with our values, also with our plans, with our lives and our behavior and with the examples that we set for people. Now, now at this point, you might be thinking, well, well, could we have just skipped over this section? I mean, I mean, couldn't the pastors and elders, deacons, community group leaders, and team leaders at BRBC, maybe this was just for you. Maybe, maybe you guys should have just got together and studied this yourself, and we could just skip over this on a Sunday morning, because it's not really relevant to us. Well, actually, this is hugely relevant for two reasons. Firstly, because we find ourselves under Christian leadership in this church. Now, yes, there's pastors and there's elders. There is also deacons and community group leaders and team leaders, leaders of the children's ministries, leaders in midweek ministries. There's leadership everywhere. And of course, you need to be asking the question when you're in a church, what kind of a leadership am I under? Because you're asking, how am I being influenced? What kind of influence am I giving myself over to? Now, also think about the transient nature of the world that we live in in the 21st century. Everybody's moving around, it seems like, all the time. And we've got got some teens in here who, in a couple of years, will be going off to university. you'll You'll be joining a church when you move to a new city. You've got to ask the question, what kind of a church am I part of? What are the leaders like? What kind of an influence am I giving myself over to? So Some of you might have changed jobs by this time next year. You're in a different city, different town, different village, moving to another church. You're asking yourself, what kind of influence am I giving myself over to? Some of you might be on a different continent this time next year, and you'll be asking yourself the same question. We find ourselves under leadership. We want to ask the question, well, what is good leadership? What's Christian leadership? Here's the second reason why it's important. is because to some degree or another, in, in, in some way or another, just about everybody in this room finds us, finds us, we find ourselves in a place of leadership. Because if, if leadership is about influence, then you look at the places in your life where you have a space for influence, then we must conclude that that in some way is a space for leadership. Think about it. You might be a business owner. You're in leadership. You, you might be a site manager. You're in leadership. You might be a team supervisor. You're in leadership. Let's go beyond that into the home, perhaps. You're raising children. <laughs> You're leading your children, aren't you? What, what about grandparents? You've, you've, got, you've got the rest of the family looking up to you to see what, what is life about? What's valuable? How should life be lived? You have an influence. There's leadership. I mean, I could just keep going, but if you think about the spaces in your life where you have influence, even that's just in your example, there is a space for leadership there. So that's why this is relevant to us. And so that's why Paul jumps in and says, right, I need to defend my ministry. I need to defend my leadership. Now, I was reading this week uh, around this topic. It wasn't a commentary. It's more of like a teaching aid. But it's called Teaching First and Second Thessalonians by a guy called Angus McClay. I think I pronounced that right. But it's a proclamation trust resource. It's a really, really good help to understand the book of First Thessalonians. And, and he kind of makes the case that we don't actually know what the accusation against Paul was. 
But what he does in his teaching aid is he takes all of what Paul says and tries to kind of reconstruct to see the flavor of what the accusation could have been like. So kind of running through this next bit and saying, here we go, this is what it could have been like. And so I'm going to throw his words up on the screen here. Paul, your, your motives were impure. I guess you were probably trying to get a good amount of money, at the very least, enhance your reputation as a traveling speaker. In other words, your visit to Thessalonica was all about what you could get out of us. And you were attempting to trick us, perhaps by your eloquence and empty promises, into believing your message. You used all the techniques you could to please the crowds, to get a good following. And you flattered us in order to get our appreciation and applause. But it was all a mark of your financial greed. However, though you used all the tricks in the book, you, eventually, you, you were eventually forced to get out of town and your mission here was eventually a failure. Now, now, we don't know exactly what the accusation was, but looking at how Paul responds, it seems to me that's the kind of fl- flavor of what the accusation was about. So what Paul is doing is he's responding to this accusation and presenting, no, no, here's what we did, here's how we led, here's how we church planted, this is what our lives were like. And so it's like a realigning of what what their understanding of Paul's leadership was all about. So here's the question we're going to ask this morning as we move through this. What are the marks of a Christian leader? Could we phrase that for the context of your life as well? What are the marks of a Christian who finds himself in a place of leadership? What are the characteristics and the traits of a Christian who finds himself in those spaces of influence? In the church? At home? In the workplace? We need to know these things. So what we're going to do As we're going to go through these verses, it's going to be a little bit whistle-stop because there is so much Paul has to say about leadership. And here's where we're going to go. We're going to make four points of what leadership isn't. So you see verses 1 to 6 in the text. You'll see he says, not this and not this and nor this and nor this. So he just tells them the, the negatives of what his leadership wasn't. So this is what leadership isn't. And then verses 7 to the rest of the, to the end, to verse 12, where we're studying, he, he talks about the things that leadership is. So the positives and the affirmatives of what his leadership is all about. So quite a bit to get through, but I think we can do it. So why don't we jump in asking the question, what are the traits, the marks, and the characteristics of Christian leadership? Let's read the first couple of verses here. For you yourselves know, brothers, yeah, you know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain. Therefore, it wasn't empty. It wasn't without a purpose. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. This is kind of like at this point, you, you see this so often in this passage. He says, you know, you remember, you are witnesses, you know. It's, it's like he's looking through a photo album of their time together. Oh, do you remember this? And you know this. And well, you were witnesses to that. When I was growing up, we had photo albums in the living room. It was on the bottom shelf. And I used to love going to the photo albums. And I'd usually go for the oldest one. It was a big blue one, and I'd get it out. The first few pages, was usually it was me and my brother as babies. So I've got no recollection of what was going on there. But as I went through the photo album, as I was growing up, some of the memories became... Uh, I could remember it a bit more. Even though it was still vague, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. So I go to mum and dad with the photo album and say, oh, who's, uh, wow, who's that family member? I recognize them. But who, oh, that, that's a distant cousin. Or that, that was your great aunt. And 
oh, oh, I remember playing that board game. What were we doing there? Oh, that's when we were on holiday and it rained all week and we had to stay inside. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Well, it's like Paul is going through a photo album with you. You, you, you know, you, you remember, you were witnesses. But witnesses to what does he say? That we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi and had gone through that kind of a conflict. And of course, we know from Acts chapter 16 how they were treated in Philippi. Well, that was a bruising visit. Paul and his team limped away from that city. I mean, it it was a good visit. It was productive. Conversion of the jailer. We saw great things, miracles. But he was hurt and he limped away. He endured that suffering. He endured that shameful treatment. He endured that conflict. And so Paul's logic behind reminding them of that treatment is to say, look, if we were about ourselves, if we were about building our own kingdom, If we were about building a reputation for our own selves to make a name for ourselves, why on earth would we ever go through that kind of a suffering, shameful treatment and conflict for your behalf? Why would we do that? I mean, that's the logic behind this, isn't it? You saw how we were treated. If we went through, we were willing to go through that discomfort. We were willing to go through that hardship. We we went through that toil and trials. If we went through that for you, doesn't that just prove to you and give evidence that we were in this for your sakes and not ours? So Paul shows the first trait of Christian leadership. Christian leadership is not about comfort. Christian leadership is not about comfort. There is a willingness within the Christian leader to endure discomfort and trials for the good of whoever they are leading. Now think about this with Paul. The reason this is true in Paul's life is the reason it would be true for any Christian is that they have experienced the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we experience God's grace in Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to step into realigned priorities in our lives. Now, before Paul knew Jesus, what was his life about? It was about building a reputation. He was a Pharisee, remember? He was one of the good guys. He was supposed to be the one who was an example to everyone in behavior and keeping the law. He was in it for his own good and his own namesake and reputation. But of course, when he was met by Jesus and his life was transformed, he experienced the reality of God's grace in his life. He came to the knowledge of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came to see that Jesus Christ is alive and, and, and well today. And he saw that grace. And when he saw that grace and received that grace, when he lived in that grace, that changed his priorities. So he went from being somebody who was, it's all about me and my comfort and my reputation, to actually it's about Jesus. And it's about his name. And having his name known to as many people as possible. For people experiencing the same grace I have got to experience. And so there's the reordering of the priorities. And what that results in is a willingness to endure discomfort so that other people might know the grace and the goodness of God through them. So there's a willingness for discomfort there. Let's let's keep moving through this. We've got loads to get through. Verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So therefore, we didn't make this up. It wasn't about corruption, and we weren't lying about this. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, here's where he's headed with this, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now now think about this here. He's saying, look, we we didn't do this, we didn't do this, but what we did do is we came in to please God and not people. Why do we please God? Because he's the one who weighs our motivations. He's the one before whom we are most exposed. 
He's the one before whom we are held accountable for the motivations and the drives within our own heart. Therefore, we didn't come to Thessalonica in order to please you. We came to please God. And there's a massive, massive difference between those two things. So the, th- the second thing Paul gives us here is that Christian leadership is not about pleasing people. Christian leadership is not about pleasing people. Now, I think everybody in this room knows to some degree or another, at some point in our lives, how detrimental being a people pleaser can be. I know it really, really well. Something that has been a trait through the entirety of my life, and the temptation goes up a couple of notches when I became a pastor four years ago. I I, I know it really, really well. Maybe you do too. Sometimes people-pleasing can be, in our lives can be, I hope I get the praise and the admiration and the applause of others so I can be up here in their minds. I can be really special in their sight. And and sometimes people-pleasing is, I'm useless, I'm rubbish, and I just want the okay from others. I just want them to be, find me acceptable. But what people-pleasing does, people-pleasing attempts to look into the minds of others and construct other people's perceptions of us. And so what we do when we people please is we work really, really, really hard to ensure that the people around us are pleased with us. Now that is an exhausting way to live. I know it all too well. I know that all too well. Can can I be acceptable? Am Am I okay? Am I not a failure today? Oh, I'd love that. Let me stand on your encouragement and your affirmation so that I won't feel a failure. What's that? that? That's a trait of a people pleaser. A people pleaser. How does that, what does that create within me? What would that create within us? It, it creates an exhaustion. But because, because the affirmation will only last for a day or two. And then like a drug, you have to run back for more. But, but, then, but then with that kind of exhaustion, what does it lead to? It leads to, wow, it leads to worry and anxiousness. What did they think about me? Did I make the cut? Am I special enough in their sight? Are they pleased with me? Are they going to keep me? Are they going to chuck me out? What's, what's going to happen? We know what that leads to. That leads to a fragility. We know that, people pleasing. I'm guessing if we're honest, it's a struggle for a lot of us in here. But it's not good for us to be a people pleaser for us. And it's never good for the people that we are leading to be a people pleaser. Now, really, really rubbish leadership is to kind of stick your finger to the wind and say, what is it that the people want today? That, that's, that's, that's rubbish leadership. That, is, that might be building a consensus, but it cannot be called leadership. So, so it's completely possible to, be, to appear. It's completely possible to appear like a good leader and be a people pleaser, but not actually be a good leader. But it's impossible to be a good leader and to be a people pleaser at the same time. It's not how leadership works. Now, we can be really honest with ourselves. It, it feels good to be led by a people pleaser. It really does. Oh, they're going to do what I want. They're going to keep me happy. Forget about what I need. They're going to give me what I want. Parents know this all too well. Leading your children. If you woke up in the morning and said to your kids, what is it that you want this week? Oh, no. Get ready. It's going to be messy. That's not leadership. And let's be honest with ourselves. It's it's, it's bad when we are people-pleasing because we can't lead people that way. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. I'm I'm not people. I didn't come to please you. My motivation is to please God. Paul, he knows God's word. He knows the scriptures. Therefore, he knows God's character. He knows God's heart. 
He knows God's heart for his people. He knows God's heart for the church. He knows God's heart for the world, for the lost and for the poor. He knows God's heart to restore all things through Jesus Christ. He knows that. And it's light of that he makes his decisions. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Not being a people pleaser still means we listen. When you're in those places of leadership, you still listen. You still care. You still open and invite questions and concerns and insights and ideas. Just because you're not a people pleaser doesn't mean you're rejecting that. But people pleasing isn't leadership. I want to keep moving here. Like I say, loads to get through. Look at verse 5. Paul continues. For we never came with words of flattery. We never came with words of flattery, as you know. Here you go again. You know. Nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Christian leadership, thirdly, is not greedy. Christian leadership is not greedy. Greedy greedy leaders are about themselves. Greedy leaders use other people as stepping stones to get to where they want to be. Greedy leaders don't allow space to other people to grow in their leadership. Greedy leaders hate delegation. Greedy leaders end up crushing people and are authoritarian over others. And Paul says, look, we didn't come in with that kind of a greed. Under this, he's saying, look, we didn't come into Thessalonica and and look for some easy-to-manipulate, willing-spirited people so we could use you to further our own ends. He said, no, we didn't come into Thessalonica to use this, this church, this newly planted church, to get to where we wanted to be and make sure we're famous in all of Macedonia. Did we do that? No, we didn't come with that greed. I'll give you an illustration here, because I was in a lecture once at Bible school, and it's hands down the best lecture, but probably the shortest lecture I ever had. And the professor was head of pastoral department, and he was talking about Christian leadership, but, but he really knew that in this, that this, these first year pastoral students, there was going to be a lot of pride, but there was going to be a lot of greed. Because a lot of us, you know, grown up in, in, the, in the age of technology, we'd, we'd go on, we'd listen to podcasts, go to YouTube, um, d- download sermons, or read all of the theology books throughout history. And we, we developed something in our hearts and minds that said, one day I think we're going to be a somebody. One day I think we're going to have that kind of a church. And one day we're going to be like this as preachers. And one day there's going to be millions of people who download our podcasts. Maybe we'll get that book deal. We are going to be a somebody. So in this first year pastoral students, we would walk in with a little bit of a swagger. And this professor knew that and he wanted to just dismantle that greed. And he did it in the best way. So he welcomes everybody in. He sits there with his register and he's very jovial and amicable and polite. And he's writing down. He says, hello. And he you know, asks the names and say, I'm here. Oh, good. Nice to meet you. Then he goes over to the board and the board in the classroom ran the entire length of the front of the classroom and it was about four feet high and it was a kind of like a dark green color and there were yellow bits of chalk in the tray and he would pick one of these up and he says right now what we're going to do please start shouting out all of the names of famous Christians throughout history and all of the Christians who are famous today that you would want to be like or you think you can be like so, so we started to scribble down these names and people would start to shout out Charles Spurgeon. Well, yeah, let's write that one down. Greatest preacher of the last millennium. Put his name down. Oh, what about missionaries? Um, Mother Teresa. Oh, yeah, get, yeah. Uh, figures within church history. Augustine. Perpetua. Oh, this is great. Keep them coming. John Wesley. Susanna Wesley. Keep going. What about some more modern ones, he says? All right, then. Um, John Piper. 
Tim Keller, it was a few years ago. So Mark Driscoll too, everybody. We just had this big list of names and the whole board was just about covered with names. And then he puts his chalk down in the tray. He walks forward and stands in between us students. He walks to just, just past the first desk, puts his hands in his pockets, kind of leans over, hunches over a bit and took a deep breath. And you can hear silence in the room. You hear a pin drop. What on earth is he going to do? We don't know this guy. Turns around, points at the names. And in a very, very loud voice, you will never be any of these people. <gasps> Jaws just hit the desk. Did he really just say that? But, but he knew exactly what he was doing. Register shut, computer shut, walked to the door, class dismissed. Genius way. But it, what was he doing? He was attacking the greed that can come up in leadership. The kind of greed that says, I think I can be a somebody. I think I can be someone who uses other people to get to where I need to be. Paul is saying, we didn't do that. We didn't come with that kind of a greed. We weren't about ourselves. We were about your good. We weren't about the greediness, kind of holding all of the jobs, holding all of the gifts, holding all of the space and the airtime to ourselves. That's not what we did. We didn't exhibit that kind of greed. Let's keep going through this. Verse 6. Nor did, we make, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now, they had a position. They had a title. They could have gone in and said, look, can you, can, can you help us out here? Can you give to us? You know who we are. We're apostles of Jesus, appointed by God. You, you know who we are. But he's saying we didn't come in and abuse our power. We didn't come in and abuse our position. We weren't authoritarian barking orders at you. Paul's saying Christian leadership. Well, he shows us that Christian leadership is not domineering. Think about some of the best leaders you've ever come across in your life. Some of the best leaders you've ever known. Did they squash you? I guess they didn't. They probably asked you what you thought. Think about some of the greatest leaders in your life. Did they ever make you feel small? I'm guessing they probably didn't. And they probably cared about what you had to say and invited your ideas, your questions, and your concerns. Paul's saying we didn't come in with that authoritarian style or to dom- dominate here. Now have a look at the beginning of verse 7. There's a switch because he uses the word but. So that means he's moving away from the negatives of what leadership isn't, and he's moving into what leadership is. And there's two guiding illustrations here. The first one is of a mother, and the second one is of a father. And he's using the distinctive traits of a mother and a father to display to the Thessalonians, here's the kind of leadership that we exhibited when we were amongst you. So have a look at verse 7 here. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's the first bit about the illustration of a mother. Now, now, have you ever witnessed this about how a mother has like a telephone telepathic knowledge of what her children need. I've never ever seen that before. They just, just seem to know. They know the kinds of cries of their children. They know the, the kind of screams. They just seem to be able to interpret it and will run through a brick wall, run past anyone to make sure that their children get whatever it is that their kids need. Paul's saying here, like a nursing mother, attentive to the needs of her children, we were attentive to your needs too. The fifth thing Christian leadership is about is being responsive to needs. We we were responsive to your needs. Now, now in order to be responsive to people's needs, you have to take responsibility. And and I want to illustrate what I mean by that. 
Imagine you go into Sainsbury's and you're on your way home, so it's got to be a flying visit to Sainsbury's and you've got to get some ingredients for your dinner. And so, so you go in and I don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get um, a, a courgette, you, you need a tomato and you need some salt. I don't know why you'd need it, but that's what you need. So you go into Sainsbury's, and you go to, to those aisles, and you picked up your basket, and you're going to throw these things, and you're going to be out of there. But you walk down, let's say you walk down the pasta aisle, and as you're going down the pasta aisle, you notice that a bag of pasta has fallen off the shelf, it's cracked open, and there were bits of dried pasta everywhere. But because you're in a rush, and this is Sainsbury's, and it's someone else's problem, what you do is you kind of tiptoe your way around the pasta with your basket, and then you get the ingredients that you need, and you go home. Because what you've done without even thinking is that you said, I know there's a mess, but it's somebody else's problem. I'm not going to deal with it. Now imagine that same broken bag of pasta is in the middle of your living room floor. Are you going to tiptoe around the broken bits of pasta to get to the kitchen? Well, you might do for a couple of days, but not for too long. Because what you're going to do is you're going to pick it up, aren't you? Why? Because you have a sense of responsibility for your own home. You don't look at that in your living room and say, well, it's actually someone else's problem. Paul's saying we were responsive to your needs. What does that mean? That means that we're taking responsibility. It's like he's saying, we, it's, it's like Christian leaders, we, we don't treat people like the bag of broken pasta in Sainsbury's. We treat people in our leadership like a bag of broken pasta on our living room floor. It's not somebody else's problem. We're going to jump in and we're going to deal with it. We'll take responsibility for this. And that seems to be what Paul's saying. Like, like a nursing mother, we were attentive to your needs. See, see this, is, this is the business owner who, who looks at somebody who's struggling in the office, an employee, and says, life's difficult for you. How can we support you? How can we get through this? This is the community group leader who follows up with somebody who was really, really brave and shared something painful. Hey, can we get together for coffee? How can I pray for you? How can we support you through this? It's the Christian neighbor who sees the man who lives at number 15 on his own isn't really doing very well. And he needs somebody to walk through the pain with him, whatever it might be. It's it's the Christian friend who sits alongside somebody who's dealing with depression, the deep, dark pits of depression. He says, can I help you here? Can we walk together? Let me listen. I'm beside you and I'm with you. It's the Christian teacher in the classroom who who looks at one of the kids and something just doesn't seem right. Something's wrong at home. And they dive in and say, this is my problem too. I'm going to take responsibility for the needs here. You see see what Paul's saying? We we took responsibility. That's how Christian leadership works. We don't walk by the mess of people and their problems and say it's somebody else. It's their fault. They can deal with it. Christian leadership says, no, actually, I'm going to shoulder this with them. There's more here from Paul, beginning of verse 8. So being affectionately, continuing with the mother illustration here, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. So the sixth thing, Christian leadership is about loving people, being affectionately desirous of you. Loving people can be really, really difficult in leadership. Because you see what's going on right here is Paul knows he's being misrepresented. If you're in leadership, in any capacity, whether that's in a church, or whether that's outside of the church, you will know that one of the hard things that comes with leading is that you will be misrepresented by the people that you lead. You will have people think about the, talk about 
criticized, not, not to you, but to each other, about the way that you lead, about the way that you teach or present, about the decisions that you made. And, and you know in your heart of hearts that they don't know all of the information that you had. They, they didn't know the dynamics that were at play in the middle of that decision that had to be made. And yet you know, because you know, you're a leader, you get this, you know you're being misrepresented and talked about. That is what happens with leadership. It's a sorry fact about it, but we're dealing with people. That's what happens. But leadership is in the middle of that. In the middle of Paul's representation, we still love you. Even though it hurts, we still care. Even though it hurts, we still put late nights in and early mornings for your good. That's why we did this. Christian leadership, leading like a Christian, is about loving people. But you also, did you notice in that verse, we were ready to share with you some of my favorite words of this whole book. Not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. We just said the gospel, we, we shared ourselves with you. Because you had become very dear to us. But how did they share themselves? Verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also of how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. So what Paul says here. We were transparent and authentic. I think what he's... Well, how we can apply this is, 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 is he didn't maintain a professional distance. It wasn't sitting in the office barking orders. Nor did they put on a pretense. Nor did they put on a show. Nor did they modify their personalities and their characteristics and their vision and their goals and cater it for everyone. What you saw was what you got. Transparent and authentic. Now look at this last illustration here. He jumps into the illustration of a father And dads, listen to this one, I love this. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What's he drawing out about a dad's role right there? Well, it's one of exhortation, encouragement. It's one of championing. But what what did he champion these Thessalonians to? Walking in a manner worthy. We We cheered you on. We pushed and we pulled. Keep going. Keep following Jesus. Keep looking up when it gets hard. Keep going when it's difficult. Keep going when you face those trials. When you feel mundane. When life just gets hard and you feel fed up. Just keep going. Here's the pattern and the path that has been laid out for us. I mean, this is like a dad on the sideline of a football field or a running track, watching a son or a daughter play, just barking all of that advice. Go pass the next defender. Go get the ball. Tackle them. Run as fast as you can. Down the right. Pass the defender. Shoot. Yes. This is the kind of dad who's frantically running up and down the touchline, screaming advice, screaming encouragement. Go. You can do it. Keep going. And he says, that's how we led you. We knew the path that you had to walk in, but we affirmed you. We encouraged you. We were your champions. Christian leadership is about enthusiastic affirmation. Enthusiastic affirmation. Now, I don't know about you, but do you look at these eight traits? I feel it. You look at these eight traits and think to yourself, this is really hard. <laughs> this is a really tall order. I don't know if I can do this. I mean, I look at this and I already knew that I had a lot to grow in as a leader. 
before I started this sermon. And now I've finished this sermon, and I look at that and think, I've got further to go than I ever realized. I mean, do you, do you look at that and just think, do, do we do this? Do I do that? In the places that I, 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 I'm afforded by God, influence and direction in other people's lives, do, do we do that? So sometimes, maybe. I try. Fail often. Sometimes try and it's miserable. It's hard. Can I do this? Maybe you look at that. Maybe you think about those places you lead. And you think, do, do I? That, that seems difficult. It feels impossible. It's a tall order. But here's the good news for us. When we grow, when we get it wrong, when we fail, we have a leader who is above all leaders. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the one who not only rules over our lives, he rules over the entire universe. He's the leader of leaders. And every single trait you see on that board that Paul was aiming to be as a leader, Jesus does that admirably, perfectly, beyond anything that we could do. Jesus is the leader of leaders. And think about how Jesus led. If all of those typify the fact that authentic Christian leadership is choosing the right over the easy, well, that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's exactly what Jesus does every time. The right over the easy. Took on human flesh on our behalf. Became a a person and walked among us. He did the right over the easy. In his life, engaged with people when it was really hard and stood with them in their pain and their mess. Chose the right over the easy. Walked the hill to the cross. With the beam of the cross strapped to his back. Went to the cross and took our sins upon his shoulders. Took the, he did the right over the easy. Ascended into heaven and now is a champion on our behalf. Intercedes for us. Every time. He does the right over the easy. So because we belong to his grace. And because we're claimed by his grace. Because our identity is now framed by his grace. In that, there is a power... There is a strength for you and I to continue to grow in the places of leadership we find ourselves in. Think about this. Christian leadership is not about comfort. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Christian leadership is not about pleasing people. Jesus said, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. It's the right over the easy. Christian leadership isn't greedy. I've come that you may have life. Christian leadership isn't domineering. The Son of Man came to serve and not be served. The Christian leadership is responsive to needs. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Christian leadership is about loving people. By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us. Christian leadership is transparent and authentic. I must preach the good news to all people, Jesus says. That's the right over easy. Enthusiastic affirmation. He intercedes on our behalf. Jesus not only champions us, but he is indeed our champion. We have a leader who gets it right every time. We have a leader who chooses the right over the easy. 
We have a leader to whom we belong and in whose grace we stand. So that means there is a power, there is a strength for you and me to grow. However hard it might be, and however daunting this seems, we belong to Jesus, the leader of leaders. So, where does that leave us? Well, as a church leadership, we endeavor to grow into that more and more. I say that with honesty. I mean it. I want to grow into that. I want to choose the right over the easy. And what about you, when you find yourselves in spaces of influence in your life? Do you choose the right over the easy? Well, the good news is we have a leader who every single time chooses the right over the easy. Let's pray together and then we get to sing our last song together. Lord, we want to thank you for these words from Paul as he defends and explains his leadership. And in so doing, gives us the window into what Christian leadership is all about. So we pray you would help us, strengthen us, fill us with what we need to navigate those spaces of leadership in our lives when we are under leadership and in leadership. Help us. And every time we're there, remind us of the grace we have been claimed by, the grace we stand in, the identity of Jesus that belongs to us. Fill us with the strength to be able to lead, to choose the right over the easy every time. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.